Yeah, I, I haven't been publishing that much. Um, I'm really bad at, at posting on there. I have so much work from this like long Pacific Northwest slash uh, Iceland trip that I did. Yeah. I haven't, that I still haven't posted most of it yet. Um, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm doing a gallery in New York um, later this month. So. Oh, congrats, that'll, man. That'll be interesting. <laughs> Very cool. So that'll be fun. One of my yeah. favorite videos that you did recently was uh, the the 3D printed panoramic yeah, yeah. camera. That was really fun. That was really fun to do. L- let me ask you this. Th- this is the one thing that I've, I haven't seen addressed. Um, um, when you're using that panoramic film camera, you mm-hmm. also have the the iPhone as your viewfinder. Yes. So that helps you line up the shot. Yeah. How do you line up the focus? So you can this is an interesting camera because you can um you can focus the first shot uh before you put the film in. Yeah. And then with the ground glass. <clears throat> uh and then after that, you basically just have to pray. Uh, so I, so, I mean, I mostly shoot landscapes, so, um, shooting at infinity is totally fine. Yeah. And, uh, but there are different, there, there is one camera that came out recently, um, that I was looking into. It's like another 3d printed esque one that some company was making. Yeah. And, uh, they, they have this like removable back thing that's similar to like a Hasselblad Oh, uh, situation. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. With like a, um, it has like a whole dark, dark shield. What is that called? <laughs> dark something. The, the, um, the barrier basically yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. cuts yeah, off yeah. the light. Basically a dark show. So you could swap it out with di- and different size backs and everything. So my next project I'm working on is I want to build a uh, six by 24. Oh my so. God. You're going to 3D print it yourself? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm working on it right now. Nice. So I, yeah, I want to get that four by one. Very cool. Oh man. You, what, what, when you do that, I definitely want to have you back on the show. That. <laughs> Are you yeah. thinking of selling it? Um, maybe we'll see. It depends how good the model is and it's going to take me a while to develop it. So, but it's, you know, I'm, it's like a 5% project while I work on all this other stuff. <laughs> that sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. Uh well, for those of you who don't know, I am speaking to David and Mel. You may have seen him uh, doing tech reviews with MK. Uh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Marcus Brownlee. Uh, yes. <laughs> what are the letters in his channel? Uh, it's MKVHD. So it's Marquez um, Brownlee High Definition. Well, it, High Definition was a new thing back in the day. So it's just been a longstanding thing. So every time, so here's here's my hangup. Every time I start saying his channel, I always get, uh, for some reason, um, XKCD the the comic strip oh. <laughs> initials start blending into it, and it just total confuses me every time. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. But anyway, uh, we have you back onto the show because, uh, as everybody knows, the Fujifilm GFX 100 Part 2 
has yeah. been released uh, and uh at this point of the recording it's still uh pre-orders only you my friend got to actually play with it and you have it in your position right now yeah i still have it right now <laughs> <laughs> i've actually had it for about four months oh so, wow that's a good amount of time yeah it's it's been a long uh i've, I've sent it back and forth between fujifilm and me but I've taken it on a couple road trips and um, I've got a video dropping. The video will be out by the time this podcast is released um, because it's coming out this Monday. I would have dropped it at embargo, but I didn't want to cover it with all the Apple news because it got announced the exact same day as the iPhone 15 series. (laughs) And we'll talk about that a little bit too. Um, But so when you say you had it for four months, did you have to return it periodically for firmware updates or like they uh, no, it models? was mostly just like they needed them to brief other people with because <laughs> gotcha. they didn't have enough press units. So I was sort of just sending them back and forth and they would send it back to me when they had some more time. Um, and I was working with them and Atlas Lens Company, which makes these awesome anamorphic lenses since it, it, uh, it takes PL mount anamorphic. Nice. What? What were your first impressions when you received it? So I actually was really, really pleasantly surprised by it. Um, I remain pretty surprised by it. Uh, it is interesting that they do the whole 100 Mark II situation. Yeah. <laughs> because they had the 100S um, and everything. So it feels like way, way, way better than both the GFX 100 and the GFX 100S. Um, It definitely is a lot more like a GFX 100S. It's a much smaller body with a removable battery pack. Yeah. Um, So it's kind of like a combination, right? Because the GFX 100S, I don't believe had a battery attachment. Um, I don't remember. Maybe I'm I'm wrong on that. I don't think it did, but either way, uh, you're able to kind of just add two extra batteries to it. But Yeah, there's all these function buttons that I think are placed in like really strategic, really nice spots. Um, It can take so many formats, which is crazy. I think Fuji's really kind of angling it to be more of a, uh, like, you know how they always do the like video photo hybrid? The XT series has always been this like, yeah, we're a photo camera, but we can do really good video. They're leaning into that with the GFX 100 series for sure. Like they did that with the regular 100 Mm -hmm. uh, and they really amped it up on this one. So they have all of these crazy lens formats that you normally wouldn't shoot with on medium format, (laughs) which is really interesting. It takes their pre-Mista kind of cinema TV, like cinema lenses. uh, And it also takes PL mount with an adapter. So you can enable do de-squeezed anamorphic in camera. That's really um, you cool. S- you can see it in camera. It doesn't actually de-squeeze the footage, but you can see the de-squeeze in camera. Um, but it's really cool because you can do log recording with it and put a, um, I believe it's like a Provia, or no, it's an Eterna LUT uh, over it in the camera so you can expose correctly without just randomly shooting log. Nice. That's very awesome. Uh, we, so let, let's go right into the video. Do you... What, one of the biggest questions I've been hearing from people, I don't know if this is a, a complaint from people or a concern from people, but uh, like when I saw the fact that it can do 
video really, really well. Mm-hmm. I was blown away by it, but others were just kind of mystified by it because they said, yes, it's good, but not good enough uh, in, in that the H the, the AK video is not using the full frame. It's using uh crop uh, mm-hmm. in order to get the, get use of the full frame. You would have to do 1080p. Uh, yeah. But in your opinion, as far as video goes, do you, do you feel that this is going to take off with professionals? Um, no, <laughs> I I, un- I understand that it's in a weird spot, right? Because, yeah. um, for example, at work we use red cameras, and those are cameras that, that don't shoot photos. And in either industry, um, mostly the video industry, the the devices and cameras that you use are very very tailored for the type of thing that you want to do. Um, having like a hybrid camera in a professional situation isn't something that happens very often um because again it's like you've got a person who's running the the video camera and then you've got a bts shooter someone who's like on set doing on-set photography but they're not doing video work yeah um so in in a professional like movie making sense it doesn't really make a lot of sense to uh to make a hybrid camera like that but I do think, you know, okay, I think that we're going to look back a few years in the future and we're going to be like, okay, they were like early to this. I I feel like their problem right now is that they're too early because in the hybrid mirrorless world, um, ever since the GH5, which was micro four thirds and did 4K60 and all this stuff. And it was like one of the first truly hybrid, like, photo video cameras that could do really good video uh, and you could make little short films and post them on YouTube and that kind of stuff. Yeah. People have been like, they've been making better and better cameras in that sense. And it started with micro four thirds. It moved to APS-C when Fuji pushed a lot of updates to the X-T2 that allowed things like 4K video on the X-T2 that weren't available at launch. Um, They tried harder to do even more intense video on the X-T4, although it was pretty obvious that the X-T shooters wanted a photo-first camera, so that's why they made the X-H line, Yeah, um, which I fully agree with, personally. I hated the X-T4, and I'm really glad they went to the body style of the X-T3 for the X-T5. Agreed. But regardless, what I'm saying is that the computational speed of these processors is getting faster every year. And that allows you to over time move up on sensor size. So again, we started with GH5, we went to APS-C, then Canon and Nikon and Sony kind of jumped in the game. And all of a sudden you could do like really insane video on full frame um, prosumer cameras. So I think it's fairly inevitable that we start to see um, medium format. I think that Fuji was sort of ahead of the curve and is one of the few medium format um, companies right now. I mean, there's them, there's Hasselblad and there's phase one and Hasselblad doesn't even shoot video. And I don't think the phase one does either. So if you want medium format prosumer video, Fuji is kind of the only option you have. Right. Yeah. Um, And again, you know, it's not big, big medium format. It's not like phase one medium format, but it is still a bigger sensor, which gives you a lot of benefits. Uh, and personally, I mean, 
I think it would be in their benefit to do something similar to what Sony does because they have, you know, they have the A7R, the A7 and the A7S. And I would love to see a Fuji medium format camera that's, I don't know, 25 megapixels or 30 mega, 33 megapixels, so could shoot 8K. Yeah. Um, apologies on the background noise, by the way. Oh, no worries. New York has been New York. <clears throat> um, but I, b- because it's a larger medium format sensor, like the, I'd love to see a video centric one that has less megapixels, really good low light performance, and then faster video readout. So it doesn't have to do things like cropping at 8K, that kind of stuff. Um, but I think that if you're going for, you, you can shoot four by three video on it. So if you want to do, you know, cl- as close to IMAX as you can, then this is a, a good option. So it's really your only option for medium format video. And also, I don't really think that anyone really cares about shooting 8K yet. <laughs> you know, like everyone's yeah. putting it in all their devices, but nobody has 8K displays. So it doesn't actually really matter. I would much prefer having a higher bit rate 4k so yeah i think i mentioned before that the the gfx in order to use the full frame of it um you gotta go 1080p but can you do 4k full frame uh i doubt i don't think you can do 4k right now oh okay um, with the full sensor i'm just saying like i don't think anyone really wants 8k um agree and yeah it would it would be very nice to to be able to do 4k i'm sure that they'll add that in the next camera um but yeah i mean it's the way that i see it is like when you're shooting if you're shooting photos you also want to be able to do really high quality video and for people that have the cash that want to um sort of be able to do both i think that's really useful Um, I'm not one of these people that is sort of like doing a lot of Instagram reels and stuff, but if I was a professional photographer out in like the Andes or a bunch of different mountain ranges and stuff, which I do sometimes go to, and I was trying to do like videos of my photo trips, um, it would be pretty nice to just have one camera that could do both. So, yeah. Do you, so right now, and again, this is. This is all brand new doors that Fujifilm has opened. Uh, no mm-hmm. one thought that that medium format would be able to take video in this manner. Yeah, uh, it, it's still early on. I I would definitely agree with you. Mm-hmm. Do you envision this being on par or at least close to something like a red camera in the future or a black magic camera? Um, it depends if they're able to do like raw recording. Uh, I think that is a huge, huge thing that they need to be able to do to really compete. Uh, also the lens mount is interesting. I mean, it accepts all these lenses, right? But yeah, they're also, they're also like really, really, really expensive lenses. Uh, a lot of the reds that we use at work can accept like Canon mount you know, or their full frame or their, maybe their Vista vision. Um, we have a PL mount one, the red V Raptor XL, which I believe there are only like two of in the world right now. Um, but it's a PL mount adapter and you can adapt down to full frame and that kind of stuff. Um, that opens up a much bigger lens selection. So the thing is like you, you can adapt to a lot of stuff. Um, 
but it's hard to compare directly to a red because red shoots red code raw and has all of these it's it's more of a box camera yeah um i would still consider this a photo first camera that can also do better video than you're going to have in most other um, mirrorless hybrids but i think you need a lot more to be able to compete with a dedicated box camera like a red camera yeah it'll be interesting to see what they do in the future or what they'll do uh, with the with the next set of uh s models and potentially r models I, I mean this is the the 100 megapixel camera uh, imagine what they're going to do in a few years from now when they refresh the the gfx 50s yeah yeah i mean that will be really interesting um i say in my video actually that i wish that they would offer a binned camera sensor kind of like leica does with the m11 series um because they have 60 megapixel 36 megapixel and 18 megapixel as options that give you different amounts of uh noise performance depending on if you want to have either resolution or or noise performance now i'm not familiar with this you can you can ask for a different uh, uh, yeah so it's very similar to a smartphone um it's actually the m11 is like the only camera still i believe that is able to do this um but it's a 60 megapixel sensor and then it can take different groups of pixels together to create a lower resolution but higher noise uh quality or lower noise quality image uh so you can shoot in 60 megapixels 36 megapixels and 18 megapixels and it will give you a different noise response Oh, that's fascinating. Um, Is that kind of like what Apple's doing with their iPhones? It's it's pretty much exactly what every smartphone has been doing basically since like the Galaxy S10 or something like that. Um, Yeah, it's a it's called a it's called binning uh, pixel binning. Oh, cool. Yeah. And that it's exactly it is what what Apple is doing right now um, as well. So and of course, they're always late to the party with stuff like that. Yeah, but I have a lot of thoughts on that. They they do it in a way that actually makes sense. Um, most smartphone manufacturers have traditionally done it in a way where they just want to be able to say they have a lot of megapixels because general consumers think that higher megapixels are better. Yeah. But when you have a uh, when you have a smartphone sensor that, that size, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I actually made a whole video sort of about this. Uh, that was called how the Italian Renaissance can save the smartphone camera. And it's pretty much. I think I saw that. That was a while ago, that. wasn't it? <laughs> it was a while ago. Yeah. That was almost two years ago, but it's pretty much, pretty much about that fact. Um, you want lower megapixels with bigger pixels if you have a smaller sensor. So yeah, Apple is doing it in an interesting way. Um, most companies just will make a 100 megapixel sensor and then they'll automatically bin it down to like 25 megapixels and either not let you use the 100 or they will let you use the 100. But it's like, why did you do that in the first place? Like having a sensor that small and shooting at 100 megapixels makes literally zero sense. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, um, But Apple is doing it in a very interesting way where they have a 48 megapixel sensor and then they just, they do a couple of different things. They'll do binning where they take multiple 12 megapixel frames and a single 48 megapixel frame 
they sort of merged the detail information from the high resolution frame and the highlight information from the low re- low resolution frames and they create this merged 24 megapixel image that has high detail and and good noise performance um very interesting thing to do very interesting in the world of uh computational photography which is kind of having a little bit of a renaissance right now because there was a period of time for a couple of years where it became a little bit unnecessary but i'm very happy to see that companies are actually doing something with it now in the age of large sensors so nice so yeah. let's go back to the GFX. Yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no worries. No worries. I, 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 I'm kind of going to uh, picking fruit from both trees. Sure. Um, the the speed of the stills. Mm-hmm. That's another thing that really impressed me. I didn't think that we would get a full frame camera that fast for a little while. I thought this was just going to be an incremental up to yeah. to the x1 uh gfx 100 but yeah. eight frames per second like the the in my mind as a wedding photographer you know i'm thinking speeds that are equivalent to when i was shooting with the canon 5d mark one and two and yeah. being able to that's where i was in my comfort zone way back when and, and really when I'm using my X series cameras for weddings, I'm actually not using the full capability. I'm, I, I like to stop it down speed wise to, mm-hmm. so that I'm, I'm not shooting as much because you touch yeah. that when you're doing high speeds and you touch that shutter, I mean, it could have a hair trigger and before you know it, <laughs> <laughs> you, you yeah, I mean, the, the same thing. Yeah. I mean, the camera obviously has single shot mode and then it's got, you know, fast mode and and slow mode it for like rapid firing. Um, yeah, but I mean, I the test, fact that it can go yeah. quickly is uh, a feed into its unto itself. Oh yeah, it is. I I was testing it for. Um, do you know Samuel Elkins? He's a professional photographer and YouTuber. Yeah. Um, he was asking me about the camera, and I am a type of I am the type of photographer that I don't burst. I don't do any burst shooting really. Uh-huh. Um, cause I don't really shoot weddings. I'm sure if I shot weddings, I would. Um, but I kind of just am like a single click move on single click move on person. But he was asking me about this because he does a lot of professional shoots and weddings and I tested the camera for him and it will shoot 42 frames before, before it buffers <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, at eight, at eight frames a second. So it's pretty 100 wild. Megapixels. <laughs> I know 102 megapixels at, and it'll shoot 42 frames just instantly. It's, it's crazy. So yeah, I think all of that's really enabled by the, um, X processor five, uh, which was really a pretty big leap over the last generation. So that's also a big reason why the XT four is so good because they run the same processor. Yeah. I mean, so what did you get to shoot with it? Like you've had it for four months. Uh, share some of the, if you can share some of the stuff that you've uh, gone on, like what trips. Yeah. You've gone I mean, on. I did, um, I did this Pacific Northwest road trip with a bunch of other um, YouTube, uh, film photography YouTubers. And that was actually while I was testing that 3d printed six by 17 panoramic camera. 
Yeah. Uh, so it was sort of a dual purpose trip for me. Um, I shot a campaign for Ford. Um, oh, interesting. So the Ford F-150 Lightning Platinum Matte Black Edition, um, I did all the photography for. So that was cool. Um, and then we What shot class the, did you have for it? I had the... 80 millimeter 1.7 i love that lens uh yeah that lens is amazing <laughs> it's so good <laughs> uh the 50 millimeter 3.5 that they didn't they hadn't given me the new 55 the new 55 yet yeah um, but i did i did use the new 55 a little bit last week um i think i had the 16 to 35 if that's a lens whatever their wide zoom is um, but not the 32 to 64, the wider one. Yeah. Um, Got to tell you, I used a lot of Photoshop generative fill in, in that for that shoot <laughs> because uh, the stage that I was shooting the car on was not nearly big enough. So I had to extend the stage a lot, but all of the car is authentic. So, um, and then, yeah, I did a lot of stuff in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and then I shot the Apple event with it as well this week. So, I was sort of just trying to put it through its paces in a lot of different scenarios. Um, and it definitely did very well. The only problem it seemed to have so far was when there was a lot of like a lot of stuff going on, the autofocus was having some issues. Yeah. Um, but I'm also still on a pre-release build of the software. So, you know, they told me that um, they told me that it's, that's going to be fixed later on or it will be fixed by release. But I, I have a version of the software that was out four months ago. So there's <laughs> that. A lot's happened since then. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm curious with, with, with the film photographers, mm-hmm. what did, uh, what, what did they think about the, the camera? They were very interested in it. Um, they were saying over and over again, like, are we going to switch to digital? Are we going to switch to digital? I think that's not going to happen. Um, but it is, it is really interesting sort of comparing my film images to the medium format digital images. They have like an extremely specific look, you know, like medium format digital has this like very, especially at 100 megapixels has this like extremely sharp look. I can send you some images, um, that I took after the show. Oh yeah, definitely. Show, show a lot of them in my video. Um, I'm gonna have a, for any of the listeners, I have a Google Drive link that has all, a bunch of the TIFF files um, of photos that I shot. So you can sort of definitely pixel peep <laughs> and <laughs> jump into those 100 megapixel uh, photos. But um, Yeah, if you could share the link, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Totally, totally. Um, and watch the video too, because I have all the photos in the video as well. Uh, I went to a baseball game, which was really cool because I was using, I was in the top of the stands and I shot kind of a wide-ish lens and you're just able to zoom all the way in on the pitcher, that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, it's wild. I was just, I was just sort of like putting it through its paces in both a video and photo format. Um, So yeah, considering it's a hybrid camera in that way, that's sort of how I wanted to test it. How did you hide this camera? I mean, it's it's not a it's not a small camera. Like what? what it's did not. You have to but do? 
I mean, you'd be surprised how few people sort of, I mean, it looks a lot like the, um, like the 100S. Yeah. So there's that. Um, a lot of people, even photographers will just like see a camera just says Fujifilm on it. I mean, it's pretty like unassuming overall. If it was like an X pro three, I think someone would have before the X pro three came out, I'm sure someone would have noticed like today. I, uh, today's the, the day we're recording is the day the iPhone 15 went on sale and well, on pre-order, not even on sale, yeah. on pre-order. And right before this show, I was sitting outside. My neighborhood has this little pizza spot that is only open on Fridays and it's outside and everyone just eats pizza together. And I'm there and I was just like texting a friend and someone's like, excuse me, is that the iPhone 15? And it's like, this thing looks exactly like the 14. But yeah. it just has it's just a different color <laughs> and someone already noticed but i don't with with cameras unless they're like you know i mean the xt5 looks exactly like the xt3 the gfx 100 mark ii looks just like the gfx 100s with a few tweaks so unless someone was like really in the know was like a super fan i don't think they would have noticed i i didn't get anybody asking me about it very cool i um for for my iphone uh, I created a new case for it. Uh, oh, yeah. I I'm a big fan of the movie uh, Asteroid City. I love Wes Anderson. Oh, and the camera that was used in that movie, the the uh, oh god, what was it? The Mueller Schmidt. Uh, I never actually saw the film. I uh, I wanted to a lot, but I kept being told that it was like not great. So I didn't. I love the movie. Oh, really? I I mean, it's Wes Anderson. You either like him or don't, um, I guess. Um, And I got into it because the themes were always something that I was relatable. I first got into him uh, with the French Dispatch because I used to be. I used to be a reporter. So that kind Mm. of sparked an interest and then i then i just went deep dive into all his previous stuff uh i'm still Mm -hmm. catching up on movies uh i've seen uh what what is it the isle of dogs which i love Mm -hmm. and uh oh god what's the other one anyway that's not important so (laughs) when when this movie came out I, i loved it because the lead character was a photographer i'm like all right i'm sold and everything looks like kodachrome kind of or, or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. I've been told that a lot of people have told me that I need to see it because the main character is very similar to me. Apparently, that's <laughs> what my non well my non photographer friends say. I'm sure that everyone is who is a photographer has everyone all their friends tell them that. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, the the character has um has a camera uh that's called the Mueller Schmidt and uh, mm. it, it's, I think the closest I've seen the equivalent to is like, it, it's, it's a, what is it? It looks like one of the Soviet cameras, the, yeah, the Ki- like a the Kiev four, I think, uh-huh. or yeah. the Kiev four, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just has, it's just rebranded. Uh, they, they just did some work on it. So I took the artwork from the Mueller Schmidt, and took all the logos and kind of rearranged it and 
got some graphics of the, the the camera that was used in the movie, merged it with an X100, and put popped in the logos, and I, I have myself a Mueller Schmidt. Um, oh man, yeah, it's uh, very geeky. I'm not proud, uh, <laughs> but uh, I would be proud. You gotta send it to me. I, I'm I'm very curious what that looks like. All right, I'll send you a a, a, a shot of it. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll exchange links. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'm thinking about doing that to uh, my X100, uh, not my X100s, my XTs, giving them a rebranded sticker. Just to, oh, that would uh, be funny. Yeah, but uh, that's that's still in the works. <laughs> um, so the all the film photographers were really cool with it uh and and the looks are awesome what about the film simulation like what about the new one yeah that they have? the new one is called riala ace um i bought three stocks of riala ace so i could compare them <laughs> um how did you get those that's discontinued right i bought it on ebay uh brand new stored it cold storage beautiful and I love, love, love the film stock. Uh, I'd never actually heard of it before I got the Fuji. I never um, did either. But I shot it and it looks amazing. Uh, well, what's it's, the, what's a really, it? it's a very natural looking film stock. Um, uh-huh. It was, a, I, as far as I understand, it was, it used to be used as a cinema film stock for this very like natural look. Um, but just just really beautiful colors. And for anybody who is using the Fuji system already and likes things like Provia or Astia, it's definitely more like that. Um, it's my favorite. It is now my favorite film simulation that Fuji has. So, wow. yeah, I, I what very, was your previous previously? I used a lot of those. Um, uh like i use like portra 400 like a lot of those recipes that you can make in the camera i mean before those got invented uh i used to use a ton of astia my when i first started shooting fuji only shot classic chrome but i kind of got over that look over a period of time then i started shooting a lot of astia then i got a little bit into velvia and then i was doing like um pro pro negative high (laughs) i i was sort of just like bouncing around and it my the my film stocks of choice kind of evolved as i uh grew up effectively which is very interesting um cool but yeah this riala ace simulation is really really nice i definitely i have a lot of samples in my video so if you want to go see it definitely look at that yeah i can't wait to see it uh, so uh, with the film stock how does it compare to the digital version they look really similar. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. Very surprised. Um, but I should also not be as surprised because, you know, Fujifilm has like one guy whose entire job it is to complete, just convert film stocks into digital film simulations. Um, and he spends like an entire year or however long it takes for a new flagship camera to come out with a new film simulation, just tweaking that. Um, until it looks almost exactly the same. So, yeah, looks really, really similar, which is awesome. I just wish they would bring it to the previous cameras. 
Yeah. Well, that, yeah, yeah, I do. I, I, I agree. <laughs> it kind of <laughs> sucks that they don't do that. I think that's their one way of trying to get you to buy the, buy the new cameras, but they definitely need to release um, either release a new relatively affordable camera that has that film stock or push it to like the X-T5. Cause that would be nice to have at on the, the very least. Yeah, at the very least. At the very least. Like, I'm sure. not asking them to go back all the way to the X-T2. Yeah. You know, that. Uh, I, I I get that there's limitations, but, you know, you know it's wild. The, 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 the same, uh, like, deck family. Uh, the, yeah, when, um, when, uh, what is the, what is the black and white? Acros? Yeah, when Acros came out, uh, I think it debuted on the X-T2. Um and they literally could not do it on the previous cameras because it actually is very computationally expensive to shoot across because they are coming up with a random seed of film grains. Um, effectively, how they made that was they scanned a like hundreds and hundreds of film negatives of of across, and then they separated the grain structure from the image. And then they created a randomized grain structure sort of producer that gets embedded in your JPEGs. And to do that is actually fairly computationally difficult. So the processor that they had in the previous uh, camera couldn't do it without, you know, creating a lot of lag. So they only had it in the X-T2 because of that reason. I think that that is the only simulation that that was the case in. I don't think that any of the other simulations take a specifically high amount of uh computation but but yeah that's always a fun little factoid that's a great fact that's uh so that makes sense and, and again yeah like i'm not asking them to go back all the way but something like i think you could use the x x100 as a mile marker <laughs> mm-hmm. anything after the x100v you, you oh you, for sure you, you could do it for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, and then when the next X100 comes out, you you, you start a new line and, and, and go from there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Um, so what are your what are your favorite things about the uh, about this camera? Like what what is is this something that you're going to personally own? I do not have a spare $7,500 plus lenses uh, lying around. <laughs> so I mean, come on. It's dirt cheap for medium format. <laughs> for me, this is the giant asterisk is for medium format, right? Um, right. <laughs> for people that make, you know, their entire living on photography, like my friend Sam Elkins, I was just talking about, he told me he's going to, he's going to upgrade to it from the, uh, GFX 100S for those type of people. I think it makes sense. Um, for anyone else that is just a hobbyist photographer, it's like, I mean, you could, uh, but if you're like a landscape photographer, I would probably just go for like a GFX 50S or 50R because speed doesn't really matter as much, you know? Yeah. Um, there are a lot of third-party lens manufacturers that make really, really good lenses for the GFX now that are pretty affordable. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, unless unless I was somehow able to get it at a very large discount, I don't think I would pick one up just because I, I can't really justify it. <laughs> also, we have I mean, sometimes I do big shoots for like, I don't know, companies like Ford. But again, I usually just rent gear for a day. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Maybe in a couple of years, I'll buy a used uh, 100 Mark II for $3,000 and it'll be a different story. But you know, like five years now, from now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For now I'm happy with my X 100 V and my film cameras. <laughs> so cool. What are some things that you didn't like about the camera? What do you think that they could improve upon for future iterations? Yeah. So, I mean, at least in the, the version I had, the autofocus was definitely still quite hunty. Um, the focus bracket where that you move with the joystick that where you can choose where to focus is very is definitely overly touchy so you try to like you try to make it go down by one and it goes down by like three so it can be hard to it, it can be hard to sort of choose where to focus um when zooming in on images on the play menu it could sometimes lag a decent amount and again i have to like asterisks this five times with the fact that this is it's a pre-production yeah super pre-production so i would have to test the actual version that comes out um to know if that's still the case hopefully they fix that i'm sure they have yeah um but i mean they've made a lot of things great there's this switch um on the top that one of them is movie one of them is stills so it can just jump between video and photo really quickly. And you, it saves your whatever presets you were previously on in that mode. It, it saves, which is really awesome. Nice. So if you like, like the XT5. If you, yeah. So if you like to shoot Riala Ace photos, but you shoot um, in log on anamorphic on video, that'll always be pre-saved, which is really nice. Uh, I would love for them to be able to do anamorphic de-squeeze in camera so you don't have to do it in your editing app. I think that would be really nice. See, I thought uh, I was under the impression that it it did that already, but that's just no, it was just it's just a preview. Yeah, the preview you see in camera. Gotcha. Um, which person I mean, I think that most actual cinematographers probably don't want it to be pre-de-squeezed so that they have a little bit more control of the footage. Okay. That makes Um, sense. Yeah. Because you know, most, most lenses are like 1.3, 1.5 or two X squeeze factor, but I'm sure that probably in really high end cinema work, there's probably lens series that are like 1.38. And so you have to do the math separately in your editing application. Yeah. Um, something like that, but either way, um, gosh, I mean, it would be great if they could get it smaller. I doubt that'll happen. I mean, it is, it's got a huge sensor. It's got eight stops of stabilization. I don't, so it's very difficult to do that. Right. Like <laughs> one thing is um, with like the Leica M11, that camera is so small and it's, it's full frame. Right. And so everyone's like, why are other full frame cameras so big? But you know, the M11 doesn't have any stabilization. <laughs> so right. stabilization takes up a lot of space. Um I would love for them to upgrade the batteries to make them even better. They're already good. They're already quite good. Um, 
I can't remember what Fuji camera I had been testing before, but the battery life was awful. But on this camera, the battery life is actually surprisingly good, um, even without the battery grip that adds two extra batteries. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think honestly, the biggest thing is going to be sort of like the autofocus, just like trying to improve that is going to be the biggest uh, upgrade yeah. over time. And like you said, this is pre-production. It could be better. Yeah, it could be great right now. I don't know. <laughs> right. So, and typically, even after it's released, Fujifilm will have a firmware update. update. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Very cool. So let's talk about the iPhone for a minute. Okay. Uh, or, or Apple for a second. Because sure. one of the features that I really liked from their keynote that indirectly ties to Fujifilm. Uh-huh. And that's the the double tap with the watch. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really neat feature when they were showing what you could do with it, like hit your snooze button, which by by God, that's gonna cause some problems. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh but like you 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 could do so many other functions with it, start timers, end timers. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that they showed was that you could take a snapshot with your camera, with, with your right. iPhone camera. I right. thought that was brilliant. And I'm wondering if they're going to allow that API to be used in other formats. And, and the thing that got my attention was being able to tie that to the Fujifilm app that connects to right. the camera. And I'd be able to do a nice family photo. I don't have to fiddle with the phone or anything. I could just double tap with my uh, finger and snap a photo. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that um, very Fuji selective. Fujifilm would, <laughs> Fuji would would have to build in. I believe they'd have to build in uh, watch support, which they probably don't have Apple Watch support right now. Um, I don't know Fuji if is, they do. I don't think they do. Uh, Fuji is very strange when it comes to mobile apps. Um, uh, that's putting it mildly. <laughs> yeah, I have not. It, it is it is pretty disappointing. I have not been able to get. I've still not been able to get their brand new X app that was supposed to like be infinitely better than the old Fuji X Connect app. I've still not been able to get that to work reliably at all. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and it's still rated like you know, it's rated like two st stars on the app store, which is kind of not surprising to me. Um, but I don't really anticipate that they would be one to work with, like trying to get Apple watch support. Um, the interesting thing about double tap, I know that this isn't directly related is that it was already, uh, it was already an accessibility feature on the Apple watch. Um, interesting in a way. Yeah. So anyone, if you have an Apple watch, uh, if you go into accessibility settings, it's not called double tap, but it's called, um, something else like gesture control. And you're able to do the same thing with like a double tap of your fingers, a, a triple tap of your fingers or clenching your wrist. Um, it doesn't work very reliably. <laughs> and I think that that is where double tap works way more reliably. Like I've tested it on the watch quite a bit and it works pretty much every time. Um, so there's oh my that. God, I got to test that out. I had the, no idea. The Apple watch does have 
a function to be a viewfinder and a shutter button for your for your iPhone. Um, I don't know if any third party like connecting to camera and taking a photo with the camera apps can do that. But I do know that with the Fuji X app, you can, I'm pretty sure you can take photos remotely from your phone. Yes. Yeah. I so. just thought it'd be re- really neat not having to look at the phone, really. Yeah, it would it would be nice that way. But then I guess you wouldn't <laughs> you'd have to see your your image would be very small <laughs> on the watch. So I don't know. But. Well, the point is just double tap. So looking down at the phone and then you know, I, I could do a 10 second timer, but you know, hit the thing, hide the phone, look up put my arm around my wife or, or, or something and, and then mm-hmm. have to get it to position. A lot of work goes into that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying to do it quickly Definitely. while you hear the timer go. But if you did the double tap, you know, you just beep, beep uh, and you're already in position. Yeah. You're good to go. Right. Anyway, it's, it's a pipe dream, but. Yeah. Maybe but, one day, maybe five yeah. years in the future. <laughs> right. Uh, so what, what do you think of the new iPhones? Um, I really like USB-C. So, you know, I've been waiting for this for years and years and years. Um, I use both Android phones and iPhones at the same time, <laughs> uh, because we at the office switch between devices for reviews and testing, like pretty consistently, um, and having to carry multiple cables is like the worst thing ever. So it's also really annoying when you're in like an Uber and you have an Android phone and you ask if they have a charger and they hand you an iPhone cable because it's just in the United States. It's like just the default. Yeah. Um, so being able to have USB-C for me is really, really, really great. I know that a lot of people that aren't really, really, that aren't really tech heads um, are probably going to be annoyed by it because <laughs> uh, now they have to buy new cables although you know if you have other apple products most other apple products already use usb-c now yeah um so there's that so i think most and and most fairly new consumer devices all use usb-c as well so i think that's kind of the nice thing is that you have anything that uses it you'll be able to do that that's really the main thing that i've been waiting for for years and i'm finally so glad to see um become a reality never thought it would actually happen (laughs) um the action button is really handy on the phone. You can map it to pretty much whatever you want, which again, we've seen in a decent amount of Android phones in the past, um, but also feels very un Apple. But at the same time, a lot of the stuff they've been doing the last three or four years has been very like, I don't know, 1980s, 1990s style Apple. Yeah. Which is great. I mean, the more functionality they give people, the better. Agreed. Um, so the action button's nice. Uh, the titanium is something that they are using for marketing that is going to matter to basically no one, even though it's their main marketing point. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's I guess they're using that as sort of the luxury angle. Uh, yeah. And I do like titanium because my Fuji TX1 is also raw titanium. But, you know. It's not quite, it's not the same color because the TX1 is gold titanium, whereas this is raw titanium. So there's that. Um, the cameras are interesting. I'm, I am very, 
it is surprising to me that they are once again separating the regular Pro from the Pro Max in terms of camera capabilities. Um, and not even necessarily for the better, question mark, um, because the Pro Max has a 5X uh, folded lens zoom. Um, yeah. They call it the Tetra Prism as their branding for it because you know, technically it is in the same focal plane as where the light comes in and then the light bounces around in these mirrors and then it goes onto the sensor. Very um, different from the periscope thing that everybody kept uh, assuming. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the other manufacturers do periscope. It's not that different, actually. It's just like how many times do you bounce the light? Yeah. Um, and which direction does the sensor face? I think right. it makes a lot of sense for it to be in the same focal plane. Um, that also gives them the ability to do uh, Z-axis uh, autofocus, which is really useful. And it's funny. This is the like the the finest example of Apple's uh, second mover advantage, where everybody else has been doing these like super zoom stuff for a very long time. Um, Samsung is a good example. Huawei, Xiaomi. Uh, and the first couple of generations of that, when it was out on the market, was terrible. But over time, it's really smoothed out. And I've been testing the phone for a couple of days, and their 5X telephoto is really, really good. <laughs> um, really? It's a, yeah, it's a really high aperture. It's uh, or a low aperture. Well, I don't know. It's a very open aperture. It's like, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, what um, was that? I, I didn't hear that. I believe it's like 2.8. I need to check on that. Okay, two way. Um, That's kind of what I was. It's thinking. fairly open because most most Android manufacturers, because they're like the the way that they refract the light loses a lot of light intensity, ends up being like f four, f five dot six. Oh wow, I didn't um, know that. Yeah, so this is two dot eight, which is good, which means it's not that different from the main lenses, and it doesn't have to do a lot of um, gain amplification. Well, the main lens um, is what a one one four. Something like that, some like one eight or one four. Um, but this is all, you know, considering focal length uh, is a or the the aperture is a measure between the focal length of the lens and the um, distance between the optical center of the lens and the sensor. Yeah, and lens uh, smartphone lenses do not have very much space between the lens element and the sensor. Uh, it's kind of more semantically based, like the difference on a phone between like 1.8 and 2.8 is not that large. Um, but regardless, I mean, it's good that it is as open as it can be. Uh, yes. The interesting thing to me is that I don't, I, I really do think that a 3X lens is very convenient. Um, that's what they've traditionally had on the telephoto lens for the pros and what they have on the telephoto lens for the regular iPhone 15 pro. So having a five X lens is kind of like this awkward space where it's a little too long for some things and it's a little too short for other things. Um, and I don't know if that means that they're going to next year have a five X lens in both the pro and the pro max. I assume that's what that's going to mean because that's what they did from the 12 series to the 13 series yeah um but i'm not really sure how people are going to react to that because you know you're going from 0.6 on the wide 
to one on the main and then five X on the telephoto. Um, and the iPhone, as they said in the keynote, is a very social camera, which means people use it for things like portraits and um, taking photos of like signs and menus. And it's funny that, you know, they have a lot of capabilities like ProRAW that allow it to be very flexible and you can do really incredible images with an iPhone if you want to, um, as you would know. Um, but I don't know, a 5X lens, it's, a, it's the equivalent of 120 millimeters, whereas the 3X lens was 77. Yeah. Um, so also, you know, all of the zoom from effectively the 2X up to the 5X is digital crop. So that's going to look not nearly as good until you hit that 5X optical. Um, so that's very interesting. I do like that they have a bigger sensor this year again, considering they just said a bigger sensor and they didn't say how much bigger it is. I have a feeling it's not a lot bigger. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, they theoretically put a new lens coating on it that is supposed to make it flare less. I did not really notice that. I was taking photos um, right before this down by the water for a review, and it was definitely flaring just as much as every iPhone has flared before it. So oh man, that. those little dots in the yeah in the street in low light they flare like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, let's see. Uh, what about the portrait mode uh, in, in post production? Yeah, that's cool. Um, so the way that that works is if it recognizes a human, a cat, or a dog specifically, these three things specifically, it will automatically capture depth information um, to be able to change the portrait mode in post. So you could change the focus point in post from not just individual people that are in the shot, but like any point in the shot, which is cool. And you can also like adjust the amount of depth of field if you want it to have like more or less depth of field, which it's all artificial, but it does seem like they have gotten way, way better at that over time, um, which is cool. You can also force it to capture the depth information if you tap. So if you just pull the camera out, there's no people, no, no cats and no dogs, it will not capture it at all. But say you're you know taking a picture of a landscape and you've got a rock right in front of you that you want to be able to use portrait mode on. If you tap on the rock, it will capture all the depth information and you can change that in post later. Oh, that's interesting. Cool. Yeah, it's very smart of them. I think that um, a lot of the time, and Google has actually done this before with Google Photos, well, where they don't do it, you know, in real time, they don't, they don't capture the depth information there. But in Google Photos, sometimes it'll just be like, Hey, we added, uh, we made these photos into portrait photos for you, and they'll sort of artificially cut out the background. Yeah. Um, but I think that a lot of people will take a lot of photos of their friends, and then if they find out that they can like just retroactively turn it into portrait mode photos, I think a lot of people are going to like that. Yeah. Remember when Lytro did that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when you put it in a consumer product. It's a, it's a little different. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, one of the only gripes I have about Apple lately uh, ha has been 
finding out features. Like I know the keynote will show stuff, but I, I measure everything in how much I have to explain to my dad. Uh-huh. And lately it's been in more and more stuff that he's been asking about. And I'm like, sure. oh, Apple, come on. You're supposed <laughs> to make this easy. Uh-huh. So being able to do stuff in, in post, um, yeah, I feel like I'm going to be teaching him new stuff when he upgrades his iPhone. I mean, the benefit is that you just have the ability to. Yeah. So I'm not sure whether or not it'll prompt you to do it. Um, but most of the stuff that they have in there is pretty, pretty easy to do. Oh yeah. Once you do oh. it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's good. Um, yeah. So your takeaway from uh, the iPhone Pro Max, like what, what are your favorite features out of it? Um, the USB-C port is number one for me. Definitely. I just, oh, about the USB-C port. One thing yeah. I'm hearing is that only the pros have, even though everything is now USB-C with, with the 15 and the 15 pros, only the pros have the actual USB-C speed, right? So USB-C is an interesting thing because yeah. It's quite confusing to a lot of people because they think that USB-C is just the spec. USB-C is actually just the port shape. Yep. So within USB-C, you could put USB 2, USB 3, uh, Thunderbolt 3, Thunderbolt 4. You can put all of the USB PD. You can put all of these different specifications within the shape. <laughs> yeah. Um, the difference here is that, yes, you're correct. Uh, the Pro phones have USB 3.0 speeds. Um, so they're not actually Thunderbolt, which is a little bit disappointing to me. I was My prediction was that when they switched to USB-C, the Pro phones would have Thunderbolt and the non-Pro phones would have USB 2. Uh, what it actually is, is the, the regular phones have USB 2, the Pro phones have USB 3. The reason they had to do this um, is because what they've sort of started to do, and I believe they started to do this last year, and you can pretty much expect that this will be the TikTok cycle in the future, is that the pro phones of this generation, that chipset will be the chipset of the regular phones of the last generation. Yeah. So this year, the A17 Pro, as they're calling it, um, the pro moniker, I believe, is probably just going to mean that it has USB 3 speeds. Um, yep. But you have to have a USB 3 controller on the chipset to be able to do those speeds. So last year's A16, even though it was in the Pro phones, was still USB 2. Um, and because they're using those leftover chips for the regular iPhone 15s, they cannot do the full speeds. So you're getting 480 megabits per second on the regular iPhone 15s, and then the pros get up to t- uh, 10 gigabit per second, um, which is still very good. Um, yeah, that'll help with the pro uh, ProRes files. Yeah, it will definitely help with the ProRes files. Um, Does the 15, nice. the the regular phones have ProRes? No. So okay. anything that has the Pro moniker on it, ProRes, ProRaw, um, uh what is it called? Um, promotion. Yep. Any of the things that are branded pro only exist in the pro devices. I 
anticipate that eventually they may put 120 hertz in their regular phones, but they will probably be only 60 or 120 hertz, whereas ProMotion uses a display type called LTPO, which can effectively ramp up from one hertz all the way up to 120 hertz and a bunch of stages in between. Um, but what a lot of devices do, if they don't want to pay for the LTPO spec, is they only modulate between 60 hertz and 120 hertz, depending on the scenario. So they might do that at one point, but I think pro um, promotion will always be LTPO. Gotcha. Well, that, yeah. fair enough. Um, so right now, even though, I don't know, do you have a pre-production of the iPhone or is it like a screen protector? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. Is this the final product? Like the, you don't have a test one. You have a, Oh no, I have a, I have a retail unit. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. what are, so we talked about what's awesome. Is there anything that you see lacking that needs that you would like improved? Uh, what are some um, of the things that you would like to have on the phone that isn't there? Interestingly, at this point, um, you're kind of talking iOS versus Android, because uh, previously I probably would probably would have said USB-C. <laughs> yeah, um, because that's the main thing. I think Apple has really upped the game in the last few years in both in the in the computer space and also in the mobile space. Uh, they've added a lot of features to iOS, even that is that Android previously only had and a lot of things that Android still doesn't have, which is quite interesting. Um, they also added thread radios for people that uh, understand what the matter protocol is, um, which is really interesting and really strange and could lead to some interesting stuff in the future. Um, but I don't know. I would say at this point, I've been using a Google Pixel Fold for the last few months and I really, really like folding phones. I don't mm -hmm. think that Apple is going to do a folding phone um, probably at all ever, but I don't want to say never, but, you know, the Vision Pro is coming and I've used that and it's very clear to me that that is their view of what the next operating system of the future is going to be. Um, I have a folding so iPhone. <laughs> which <is> I, <laughs> so this is gonna so uh, again i'm not proud it, it, it's just a, a hair i got so i i have a 12 pro max and, and mm. i got the 14 pro max i uh i bought two together i i i no i actually did something worse i actually bought these tiny little hinges and oh. glued them to the <laughs> to the case, and so Dang. now it folds open. You got two it's, separate uh, two separate little devices. Yeah, they, it's it, they they can act independently. How many folding phones can do that? That's true. <laughs> That's true. Fair enough. Um, yeah, it's it, very stupid. And again, I'm not proud. It was one of those things. Was just a curiosity to see if I could make it, and uh, I found out I did and I, I also learned how to waste more time <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so i doubt they're ever gonna do that um 
there's no sign that they're working on a folding UI right now or a yeah. large screen sort of flexible UI. So I've used the Vision Pro and it is pretty amazing. And I think that they're going to try to shrink that down into, you know, everyday glasses within the next five to 10 years. So I really can't probably, wait to see what they do with that. It's a pretty, pretty incredible um, computing platform. I don't think it's something that people are going to use every day right away. Uh, and I don't really want it to be because I like living in the real world. Yes. Um, but, you know, I it is simultaneously the most advanced piece of technology I've ever used and also one of the weirdest. Um, so who knows? We'll see, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I think that as far as whether or not people should upgrade, um, to the new phone, it's like USB-C is a big deal for me. And it is a big deal for a decent amount of people that are nerds that have a lot of USB-C cables. So I think that's going to entice a lot of people. Yeah. Um, the action button's cool, but not a necessity. So if neither of those things are the things that you absolutely, absolutely want upgrading from a 14, doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yep. Um, but you know, if you're on like a 12 Pro or something and you want USB-C and ProMotion and all this stuff, it would it's going to be a bigger upgrade for you. Cool. Yeah. I know we kind of switched topics from the uh, the camera to the phone here, but... Oh, no, that's totally fine. <laughs> um, dude, it was awesome having you on to, to talk tech. Uh, I've learned so much, uh, especially around... The film simulations. Uh, I won't be so grumpy anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it turns out they might have been just telling the truth and not talking marketing speak. <laughs> just for that one. Just for that one. I would still really like them to bring uh, all the other film simulations to the older cameras. That's Agreed. Um, but so t- tell everybody where they can find you on the web, man. Yeah, I'm... Um... Let's see. I'm on x.com, I guess, uh, Twitter at <laughs> DervidML. I'm on Instagram at DavidML. I'm on threads at DavidML. Um, you can watch me every Friday on the Waveform podcast, uh, both on YouTube and on podcast players. Nice. Um, I make videos for the studio channel. It's literally called The Studio on YouTube. Um, and then you'll also probably catch glimpses of me in the MKBHD YouTube channel as well. Um, or you can just go to my website, which is davidml.com. Although I update that much less frequently, but I do have a contact me page on there. So you can always throw me an email if you want. Very awesome. Great having you on the show, man. Uh, I, I definitely want you back on whenever you get this uh, project, uh, a new camera project uh up and running and definitely you know what anytime there's a new release i'll probably be bugging you (laughs) (laughs) well that'll be happening next year then so look out right on excellent man (laughs) thank you very much and i'll see you next time sounds good man talk to you later